Okay, so that's my quick review. Does anybody want to share just quickly something that they um, appreciated from last week? Something that kind of resonated with them and they went, hmm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chew on that for a while and see if I can apply that. Anyone want to share anything that they remember? Okay, this is a safe place you can share. Okay, that's fine. I just remembered something I was going to tell you that I forgot to, to cover, and that is the, we talked about the teaching format. Um, we are recording these lessons, but Dan and I decided to not stream them. I reminded him that they say that the camera actually adds 10 pounds, and I am to that age where I feel like I look much better in an audio recording. No, seriously, there is a little after, okay, I tried, okay, I tried. You guys are a tough audience. Seriously, though, we thought it would be best in case we were to, you know, slip up and say something uh, embarrassing or true or true and embarrassing, uh, and to not have it out there on the internet forever and ever. So we are recording these audio only, and those are available. Will they be on the website? Yeah. Okay. We we had talked about putting them on the website, so those those are available. Okay. So let's get into what we're going to discuss today. We're going to be talking about three different types of parenting. And I'm, going to, I'm basically going to tie it into the concept of three different kingdoms. We're going to talk about adult-centered parenting. We're going to talk about child-centered parenting or centered families. And we're going to talk, lastly, about our goal, which is to have God-centered families. So we're going to start by talking about adult-centered families or adult-centered parenting. Now, in this kingdom... The parents sit on the throne. They have all the control. The children have none. The adult-centered parent effectively says, there is a God in this family, and I am him. The parents make and enforce the rules without input, without compromise, without discussion. It's basically my way or the highway. So what drives that type of parenting? I'm sure we've all seen that. Some of us may see ourselves in some of those descriptions. Some of this may be rooted in pride. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So does the adult-centered parent, do they listen to counsel? Do they recognize when they're wrong? Do they read a book on parenting or try to learn? Not, Not so much. Usually this parent is the one that says, I've got this. I know what's best. An adult-centered parent may also be driven by the fear of failure. If I don't maintain complete control, these kids are going to end up felons, they may say. They may also be driven by self-focus, very much self-centered. Parenting for them is not so much about how the child turns out. It's really much more about minimizing the child's adverse effects on the parent's life. I refuse to let these kids ruin my life, this parent may say. It's not about how the child's sin dishonors God. It's really about how the child's behavior reflects on the parent. If my kid does something stupid, this parent may say, what will people say about me? And then lastly is idolatry. Hmm, that's an interesting one to consider, how this type of parenting may be rooted in idolatry. But if you think about it, idolatry is putting anything in front of God in your own heart. So, let's throw this out for a question. If you imagine that, the child is having no control, the parent is in full control, what form of idolatry might 
play into that? What might a parent be idolizing, essentially, and putting above their, their role to be a good parents before God? What do you think? Just throw it out. Just, you, don't, you don't need to raise your hand. Just what do you think? What might someone idolize in that sense? Power. Good. What else? Their own comfort. Their own comfort. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, Charlotte. Their reputation in the community. Yeah, any others? I see a hand back. Yes. Oh, absolutely. All good. Any? The success of their children? Yeah. And, and maybe not from a biblical perspective. It might be, you know, pursue that high-paying job, get that third degree. Yes. Yep, you do see that as well, especially, obviously, as they get older. So here's what my list. This is what I came up with, and we've hit on several of these. An adult-centered parent may idolize control. Comfort, ease, right? Order, I want order in this house. I want respect from my kids. I want my success, their success. I want time for leisure. I want time for hobbies. And then appearances for sure. There are parents in this camp, in this kingdom, that care deeply about what other people think. And they will work very hard to bring up the facade that this family has it together. And that's the most important thing. Okay, let me explain about the handout. They are in the back. I hope you grabbed one. I put three lines on there. Um, in several spots during this lesson this morning, I'm going to be talking and actually focusing on parents and children in these three different kingdoms or families. And we're going to cover a lot of them. We're going to cover them fast. So what I'd like you to do is when you hear something that resonates, you think, ooh, that's a good one. Go ahead and write it down. You're probably not going to have time to write them all down, but the ones that stick, write them down. And then when we get to the end, we'll talk about some of those, talk about which ones I may have missed, and you can share you know, why you chose that one, what, what sticks with you in that one. So let's talk about some characteristics of the adult-centered parent. First of all, they are rarely, if ever, wrong. They may be inconsistent in enforcing rules which means they may apply the same rules to all children when in fact they shouldn't. Or they may not apply the same rules to all children when they should. Why do the rules change? Because it's easier or more convenient to let the rules change. They may play favorites based on how a given child makes them feel. They may feel validated because this child is so obedient and they may gravitate toward that child because that child makes them feel better. They may have disagreements between mom and dad. Why? Because there's no common standard. They both have agendas, and they very well may not line up. This parent may prioritize peace and compliance over teaching and discipline. They may seek to maintain a facade of personal perfection, basically downplaying or denying their own faults. They will demand, not earn, respect and obedience. And this will work for a little while, as long as you have the power to enforce it, but not a minute longer. They may be controlling, but not themselves controlled. In other words, they may demand that their children respect authority when, in fact, they do not, and they model that. And what they will do is they will destroy their credibility and respect with hypocrisy and selfishness. They exasperate their children, though we're told not to do that. And they may apply one scriptural verse to every situation, and that's Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. 
All right, so that was a long list. Hopefully you had a chance to jot down a few, and I certainly probably missed hundreds, if not thousands, of different characteristics of parents in an adult-centered families. Are there any I missed, or are there any that really kind of stuck out to you and why? Go ahead. Anyone want to share? I'm just going to start calling on people. You don't want me to do that. <laughs> yeah. Your point about disagreements between parents because there are no common standards was, was good because yeah, each parent might have a different idea of what an adult-centered home looks like their own desires and so forth. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's not just adult-centered in terms of the generic parents. It's each individual parent essentially being at the center of that kingdom. You know, there's a king and a queen, so to speak, two thrones. And who knows who's making the rules in that specific instance. Maybe the first person the child talks to, and they learn who to talk to, don't they? Any others? Any others that I may have missed? Demanding of respect. Demanding of respect? Yeah. There's, it's such a breakdown between each child. Yes. You're, you're asking them to teach. Yes. She's saying you're, you're demanding not earning that respect. You're, you're basically saying you will respect me which is kind of getting it backward. Okay, moving on then. Let's talk a little bit about children in the adult-centered family, some characteristics. Well, first of all, they are serfs in the parent's kingdom. And now they may seek out control, often in negative ways, because they feel they have no control. They may rebel simply to feel some control. They likely resent the oppressive atmosphere in this kingdom, and they may have to get crafty to get what they want, and they will get crafty. And they may lose hope. They may feel like life is pointless. And even more scary, they may lose faith, basically saying, if God is like that, I want nothing to do with him. Okay, can you think of anything else that kids may exhibit when they're tucked into the adult-centered parenting kingdom? or any of those that resonate with you because you've either been there or you've struggled with it yourself? Okay, so what does this make God look like? Remember we talked last week about how we reflect God. We are his ambassadors and our children, at least in their earliest stages, they form their opinions of God based on what they see in us. So what does God look like in this kingdom? Well, first of all, he's not on the throne. We established that. But he's rigid and he's demanding. He may be uncaring and lack empathy. And he's all about the rules. You've heard the term the cosmic killjoy. That's what he does. He sits up there and just looks for opportunities to ruin people's fun. So what happens in this kingdom? Well, those serfs, those children, um, basically what they learn to do is to deliver letter of the law obedience, not compliant hearts. And this type of parenting tends to grow less and less effective as children age. And it often completely implodes or explodes in the teenage years. And why is that? Because teenagers want and should have some control and freedom over their lives. We talked about that last week, the difference between bubble wrapping our children for their own protection and sending them out to the wolves, finding that sweet spot. As teenagers, they want to have opportunities and should have opportunities to make their own decisions and their own mistakes, but they're often not allowed to in this kingdom, and they can't wait to get out. Okay, before we move on, are there any other thoughts 
that you may have about this idea of the adult-centered parenting? Anything from your own experience? Yes. Great point. Children have a hard time understanding their worth before God. They, they feel worthless. They don't feel like they have a role to play. It's just, yes, Dad, yes, Mom, whatever you say, I'll do it. Yeah, that, that again, that is not portraying an accurate picture of our God. That's not how our God parents us. Why would we parent our kids that way? Good point. Thank you. Any others? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. They don't learn how to make decisions. They don't learn how to weigh consequences when the stakes are low. And then they get out and they perhaps flee the kingdom as soon as they possibly can. And now they're faced with this uh, avalanche of, of decisions to make. And they don't know how to process them because they haven't had practice. Yeah, no good point. Okay, any last thoughts on this? Yes. Yes, no, good, good point. Um, as, as kids grow older, they're, they're not seeing their parents as a pass-through, in a sense. As I obey and honor my parents, I'm doing that unto God. It's just all about keeping the king and queen happy so they'll stay off my back. Exactly. Okay, let's talk about child-centered parenting now. Okay, so the child-centered parent allows the child to assume the throne and willingly accepts the role of servant, or worse, jester, in the child's kingdom. So the scepter of control is handed over to the child, and the parent basically takes a knee before the throne, even as chaos right, takes over the land. So why would a parent do this? Why would we do that? Well... We allow children with folly bound up in their hearts, as Proverbs tells us, we allow them to govern and assume the throne primarily because it seems easier. And I say seems because in the long run it's really, really not, but in the moment it seems easier. So many messy, brutal battles have been lost that the parent has lost the will to fight. Winning back control and keeping it is just too costly. Sure, there's not much peace in the kingdom, but at least this is better than declaring war to try and seize back the throne. And so life goes on. I think we've probably all seen this. So because it seems easy in the moment, what, what are some other reasons that you think parents are willing to hand the scepter and the crown and the throne to a child? Why would they do that? What do you think?
okay, he's saying it's a, it's a reactionary thing to how they were parented. I'm going to swing that pendulum back, but it never stops in the center, does it? It keeps going all the way to the other side. Okay, no, good point, thank you. Any others, any other reasons? Yes, Sherry. Okay, all right, so a parent that wants to be liked. I just want, I want my child to like me. I don't want to be the bad guy. I'm always the heavy. I want them to like me, yeah. Okay. Parents that actually may idolize their kids, put them on the pedestal, and just, I just want to give them whatever they want because they deserve it. I never had it. That kind of thinking, yeah. Okay. A lot of external pressures, uh, be, <clears throat> being judged for how you parent, maybe being seen as, uh, you know, overly harsh by a grandparent or a friend or someone else. Yeah, that can definitely affect you. You, you want to shift your standards to, to please those people. Okay, so back to those three lines with lots of things. We're, we're going to start talking about, um, yeah, because it seems easier. So we're going to start talking about children in child-centered families because, well, because they're first, right? So first of all, children in these families, they're, they're not qualified to lead. And in fact, they really don't want to. They don't want the throne. Because honestly, even for them, having a fool on the throne is scary. But they'll climb up there if no one else is. These kids usually win the battles. They win most of them. Why? Because they're all in and they have nothing to lose and they have all the time and resources. <clears throat> they're not tired. They're not sleep deprived. They're not late for a meeting. They didn't just press slacks that are now covered with mud. They, they don't really have much to lose, so they tend to win the battles. Children in this kingdom, they, they act, and the parents react. Children should be a joy for others to be around, but they're usually not. Children should not jeopardize or destroy relationships with other people, but they often do. They want it now. They don't think long-term, and they learn how to manipulate to get those things that they want. In this kingdom from the throne, they don't learn to respect authority. They are the authority. They don't learn about boundaries or rules, and they can develop an attitude of entitlement. And ironically, they may remain dependent well into adulthood. And this is interesting, kind of back to the point that they don't really want to be on the throne. I think that kids in this situation can actually lose hope. Because when you're wrapped into a tight package, it makes a very small package, doesn't it? And when the whole kingdom and the whole world revolves around them, they may end up thinking, there's got to be more than this. Because again, they're in control, but they really know they shouldn't be. Any other characteristics of kids in the child-centered family? What do you think? Sometimes they're bullies because it's all about getting what they want. They can't fathom the affront of being denied what they want, and they will go after it. Yes, good point. Yeah. Was there, I thought I saw a hand there. Sorry. Any others? Any other thoughts? What's that? More self-centered. Definitely. That's a huge part of it. Absolutely. It's about me and what I want. I will get it. You will give it to me. And now. Yeah. Just thinking that. Mm. Sort of friendships, they marry one day, that 
Yeah, what, take that out into adulthood and look at how those attitudes affect relationships. Friends, family, spouses, devastating, yeah. They're not fun to be around, young or old. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're those people that you meet as adults and go, whoo, I wonder what they were like as a child. And actually, you probably know they were exactly like this. They never outgrew it. Okay, so what about parents in this kingdom? So they give up peace and normalcy in the process of all this because unruly kids destroy those. And they may make a feeble attempt to win battles, but they lose pretty consistently. In fact, they seem to come up with new and creative ways to lose battles, especially with the little ones. I'm going to start counting. If you don't obey me promptly, you don't have to obey me promptly. I'll pick a number. And they mistake accommodating and pacifying for loving. Those are absolutely not the same. They often give up their hobbies and their outside relationships for their kids. They make their kids the priority relationship, not their spouse. There's great danger there. And what they do unwittingly is they actually reinforce and reward their child's bad behavior. And it just keeps coming. They pay too high a price and they sacrifice too much thinking that they're helping their child when in fact they're not. And they may even despair when they look at what their lives are become, have become. What did we do, this parent may say. Some of us have been there, right? So what about that? What do you think of that list and what can you add or amplify where adults are in this kingdom? What do you think? Maybe some of us have been there. Wow. So if they come to a family gathering and they don't like the food, they don't have to eat it. They'll go to McDonald's afterward. We could talk for weeks just about battles that happen around food, couldn't we? Oh, my goodness. The, the great food fight. Yeah. In, any, other, any other thoughts on, on this parenting in the child-centered kingdom? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, for the sake of the recording, uh, he basically said that people, um, they, they fear. They fear the state. They fear others. They fear maybe losing their children. There's so much pressure coming from the outside to say, let them decide. Let them do what they want. Let them pick their clothes, their meal, their gender, right? So, yeah, clear in the back.
yeah, this, uh, this child-centered thing seems to go over better in our society, and especially where it's all about trying to protect the child from having you know, any discomfort or to feel bad. You know, it's all about emotions. It's all about protecting them, and that's, that's unfortunate. We'll come over here and then here. Yeah. Okay, hand, handing your kids off to be essentially parented and taught by, by a coach or a youth pastor or someone else, right? Not you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the, the state will gladly step in to avoid if you leave it in your parenting. So, yeah, those are, those are some scary things. Thank you for sharing that. So what does God look like in this kingdom? Well, again, he's not on the throne. He kind of looks like a divine vending machine. He's there to just dole out what the kid wants. Or maybe he's like a simpleton to be duped by the child. He may be non-existent. They may not think he exists at all. Or they may think that he's not really worthy of their allegiance. And that might happen because, honestly, with all the chaos in the child-centered home, when is there time for teaching and training and discipling? There's probably not. So if you're having to constantly explain or justify your child's behavior, then there's probably something wrong. You may be in this camp, and if your child makes it impossible for you to go to church or visit friends or be out in public, then you may be in this camp and you may not recognize it. And there are clearly caveats for children with special needs. We'll change, change the rules on that, but just something to ponder. So child-centered parenting looks to give the child everything they want, but denies them what they really need, which is loving, consistent discipline. This can destroy friendships, marriages, and, and even the family itself. Pretty heavy-duty stuff, even though in our culture it's seemingly more accepted. So now we have time to get to the good part, okay? This is... God-centered parenting, and I'm going to let author Louis Priolo do this better than I could. He says, the concept of a God-centered home is derived from the biblical principle that the purpose of every Christian is to glorify God. In contrast to a child-centered home where pleasing and serving the child is the dominant theme, the God-centered home is one in which everyone is committed to pleasing and serving God. God's desires are exalted over everyone else's. Everyone in the family may be expected to sacrifice personal pleasure if God's will requires it. This philosophy teaches children to serve rather than to be served, to honor rather than be honored, to give, be loving, rather than take, be selfish. Wow. Wow. I wish I had grown up in a household that looked more like that, and you might wish that yours looked more like that too. What a great goal. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. 
The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we often think of that verse in terms of our neighbor, right? Across the fence or across the city or across the world. But does this apply in our families? If it applies across the world, I would certainly think it would apply to those closest to us. So what does it mean to love your family members as yourself? Is the child in a child-centered home learning to put God and family first? Absolutely not. How about the parent in the adult-centered family? Are they putting others first and God first? No, no way. In both cases, the focus is on self, not God and others. And it shouldn't be a shock to us that what works in every other facet of life, putting God and others first, is a key to good parenting as well. All right, so whoever Titus's crappy phone is, I guess I need to deny. No, that's on the TV. How funny. Okay, well, Titus? Denied. I think. Did I deny it? Okay. All right, things you can't plan for in a presentation. How about that? Thank you, Titus. Oh, gosh, okay. Little did he know he's the star of our show here. Okay, we're not going to talk about his parenting. That's, that's off the table. God-centered parenting. So the God-centered family seeks to love God and others in the home, right? Just like we read in that passage. And God-centered parenting also addresses the heart, not just the behavior, okay? It calls sin, sin, and looks to address the attitude behind the action. God-centered parenting. Okay, God-centered parenting is built on a solid foundation of truth, and that is the inspired and sufficient word of God. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man, woman, and child of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. It's the foundation on which a God-centered family is built. The God-centered family is not built on sand that shifts with the whims of a spoiled child or the preferences of a parent. In a God-centered household, the standards don't change and the goalposts never move. Second Timothy I just read that. Okay, so on issues that can be tied directly to Scripture, the God-centered family stands on those things, points to Scripture, and says, here's why we're doing this. Or children, here's why we're not doing that. And in those gray zones of conscience where Scripture is silent, then as parents we prayerfully consider how we want this to be in our, our household. We establish the standard. And then we communicate that clearly to our children and we enforce it in a loving way. That's the God-centered family at work. So now let's talk about parents. What about parents in the God-centered family? Some characteristics of them. They are trusted stewards in this kingdom. They're not on the throne. They're adult children of the king in God's kingdom. And they say with every word and action, this family lives to honor and obey God. Right? As for me and my house. And they recognize that their authority comes from God, not just from their title as mom or dad. 
and they parent with humility. They parent with humility the adult-centered household lacks because they understand that they too are works in progress. They are also children, adult children in God's kingdom, which means they make mistakes. They recognize those mistakes and they seek God's forgiveness for those mistakes. They also seek their child's forgiveness for those mistakes. That's a hard one, but it's super important. They see themselves as God's ambassador to their children and they seek to represent him well in all things. And after their relationship with God, they put their spouse first, not their children. One of the best things you can give your children, one of the greatest gifts you'll ever give them, is a front row seat to a healthy marriage. These parents lead by example, not just words, and along the way they model what it looks like to be a healthy Christian. They teach and train their children from God's word, like we just read. They discipline consistently and lovingly. They have a life apart from their children in contrast to the child-centered home where there is pretty much no life outside of meeting these little tiny tyrant's needs. They can often be that way. These parents give children choices and control where appropriate, in fact, whenever possible, in increasing measure as those children grow. They find that sweet spot we talked about last week between overly permissive and overly protective parenting. And they move as time goes on and, child, and children mature, they move from demanding respect, which you have the right to do when they're very young, to earning it as the child ages. You still have a right to it, but you earn it more than you mandate it as they get older. And they understand that it's their job to consistently teach and train their children, but it's God's job to call their hearts to him. Lots going on in there. A great standard to achieve, and none of us have accomplished it. But what about that list? Anything you'd like to add to the list of characteristics of the God-centered parent? Any of those resonate? No, good, good point. If, if you don't know the truth, you can't recognize the lie. Right? You'll buy it. You'll believe it. Yeah. Do it. Oh, it's all hand.
Yeah, she's saying as, as the children grow and they, they both get to see a healthy marriage and get to see, you know, individuals, their parents growing as, as works in progress toward Christ, uh, they, they eventually kind of come alongside. It's less about parenting and they become, you know, fellow believers. They become brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we talked last week, you know, when appropriate, they become friends. You know, when your parenting role is truly done, arguably it's never truly done. But, you know, clearly you're going to do less and less of it as time goes on. What, what a blessing to have them, have them, you know, come alongside and you can look at them and say, I, I respect you. I can learn from you, right? Any other thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you will see your mistakes repeated in your children. I mean, that's what makes this a, you know, a heavy thing to bear. But by the grace of God, you know, ideally you're, you're moving things forward. You know, I, I would like to think that... Uh, I've succeeded in extinguishing some of the generational sin that I was raised with. And it's been a battle. And when I look in the mirror and see my dad, or when I say something and think, oh my goodness, that sounds just like my dad. You know, I recognize it and I, and I want to banish it, but I haven't accomplished that. So I'm raising my kids up, telling them, stand on my shoulders and do better than me. Do better than your mother you know, get rid of a few more generational sins, and this next generation will be blessed and blessed and blessed. Kristen and I are both, I mean, we look back on how we were parented, and, and we can honestly say we've come a long way. You know, we, we have learned a lot. We have made a ton of mistakes, but we are doing better in raising our children than, than we were raised. This is why we're not streaming this. Um, anyway... <laughs> so, you know, just, just to be honest, that, that's our goal. That's our goal is to see each generation do a little bit better, stand on the shoulders of their parents. Like I said, eliminate some of the generational sin we tend to adopt because it's just what we know. I mean, we were, we were immersed in it, especially in those early formative years. It's just normal to us. We have to go against normal to break those things. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Any, any other thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I actually don't know his background, but it, I find it humorous how often books like that and, and corporate training and these things end up being based in Scripture, even if they don't believe they come mind the truth because they figured out that it actually works. But yes, being, being proactive. Don't just, don't just you know, slip into the groove that you're familiar with. Thanks.
Yeah, it is, it is a heavy responsibility, but, you know, like I said, by the grace of God, it, it's, it's, it's his to do. I, I think about this when, and this, this is typical, this is not how it all goes for everyone, but when, you know, when you're born into a family, God's main change agent for maturing you is your parents. And then they do their job, and then you leave their household. And, and some of us will then go on into marriage where God again gets out his, his chisel and his router and his hammer and he starts banging on you and you, you go through another whole set of changes based on that. And then those of us who go on to have kids realize that he has just fired up his tools yet again in a different context and he continues to refine us and sand off those rough edges. So that's, that's parenting. I mean, I really think that that's kind of what God puts us in there to do. We can learn as much from our children and the process of raising them as we can just, you know, directly out of Scripture. So I, I appreciate what you said. And you also said, you know, it's scary to think in one sense that we can do all this stuff right to the best of our abilities and the outcome is still what that child chooses, right? We, we don't impose that on our child. They, they do not pick up our salvation um, as a result of them being in our household. And I, I think of an analogy like this, that, that you should still do everything that you can do because if you imagine you, you planted a little tree, this little sapling, it stands about five feet tall and it's about that big around and you put it in the ground and you know what the winds can do. So next to it, you take a stake and you drive it in and you tie it off every few inches. It can still move a little bit, but that stake is there to support that tree in the wind. Now, is there any guarantee that an 80 mile per hour wind isn't gonna come through and flatten that thing anyway? No, there's absolutely no guarantee. Both the stake and the tree could be on the ground when you wake up the next morning. But does it increase the chances of that tree someday being 80 feet tall with a trunk you can't put your arms around? Yeah, absolutely. So I, that to me is an analogy for parenting. There are no guarantees. It is God's work. It is their choice. But doggone it, I'm going to drive a stake in the ground. And to the best of my abilities, I'm going to tie them to that in love and I'm gonna stand back, and when those winds come, I'm gonna know, hey, at least I did what I could to help that child grow and someday succeed. So we're gonna close with that. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to, uh, to unpack parenting, as fantastic and wonderful and scary as it can be. Um, as we looked at these three kingdoms, God, where the child is on the throne or the parent is on the throne and neither of those work, you need to be on the throne. So help us as parents, as grandparents, as future parents, help us keep that in mind, Lord, that you need to remain on the throne so that we can be good stewards of the opportunity to parent your children, God, not ours. Amen. Awesome. Thank you all for coming.